Welcome to the Living Stones podcast. These are a recording of our Sunday morning meetings. We pray that these will be a blessing to you. So please, enjoy listening. If you want to know more, please contact us at office at livingstoneschurch.co.uk. We're multitasking this morning, so <laughs> we're, we're filling kettles and getting, getting things ready. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, on this, if you've made it here, you've probably beaten most people because uh, it was like an ice rink, wasn't it? Today, it's it's pretty it's pretty fun out there. Um, I just wanted to start by just giving a massive thank you to a few people who I can see here today who have been here probably most of the week <laughs> in some ways. Justin, Mandy, um, well, John is not here because he's working, but not only, um, and I think probably Paul was a part of that as well. Not only did Livewire's Christmas ball. Not only did um, uh, schools out yesterday, but also we're here this morning working. Um, what an incredible bunch! We are so grateful to you for everything you do. It's not it's not unnoticed. Um, wonderful, wonderful people, wonderful jobs. The ball was brilliant. Um, schools out was really lovely yesterday. It was very relaxed. It wasn't it wasn't packed. The kids made great crafts, and we got a chance to invite people to our nativity services, which was which was really good. Now, we're going to start this morning, just before Ellie takes us through worship, with lighting our third Advent candle. I may have had someone volunteer already this morning called Shannon. So, Shannon, would you like to come forward? And um, This is, uh, I'll read from this service here. Today we light the first, second, and third candles of the Advent wreath. Each candle has its own meaning. The first candle is hope, the second is peace, and the third is joy. Shannon, do you know how to light them? Is it on the bottom? Brilliant. Well done, Shannon. In Isaiah 55:12, we read, you will go out in joy. Uh, Shannon, can you do two more for me? Thank you. And be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills, <laughs> will, what could go wrong? Will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. How you doing, Shannon? Brilliant. That's it. Good job. Should we move it away from the curtain or should we chance it? <laughs> I'm looking at Paul. <laughs> that's true, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, be fine. Gracious God, you came to us in human flesh and you live within us in the Holy Spirit. Fill us with your joy and help us shine as a light to the world through Jesus Christ, who makes our joy complete. Amen. Amen. Father God, also, we commit this morning to you. This third Advent, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you're willing to talk to us. You want to be part of our service this morning. You want to receive our praise and you want to talk to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to hand over to the birthday girl. Oh, yes, it's my birthday. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, yes, yes. I'm double 23 and a half, maybe, something like that. Um, yes, and I also worked out that when Amelie turns 30, uh, she's, her birthday's a month before mine. When she turns 30, I'll be 60. So I'll be exactly double her age and their big birthday. So we will definitely probably not have a joint celebration because she will be 30 and she won't want to do that. Let's stand and sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Yes, Jeanette, you said about preparation. And it's really, this season is such preparation, but it's also expectation, isn't it? And we are expecting this. We talked about a king and a prince. And what arrived? A tiny baby. 
And with that baby was glory and light. It's incredible. What a miracle, actually. Christmas is a really good chance to remember um, the royalty of our God in a baby. I mean, what, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's just such a, it's a beautiful picture. I'm going to hand over to Justin for family time. Oh, thank you. So, family time. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know about you, but there's various things that, um, for me, still hold wonder at this time of year. Um, I think sometimes as we get older, it's a conversation we have in our house now. You know, the girls are 19 and 21. Um, they are now learning what it is to adult Christmas. Things are different. Um, the, the wonder of taking an Argus catalogue and ripping it apart and making a list. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, all that. But there's still things that I think for all of us, we can revisit and hold wonder. Um, so for me, you know, the start of Advent, Advent candles, all this. During the week, Little Stones Nativity. Now, Little Stones at the moment, all the kids are really, really little. So we're no longer telling Bible stories to children, we're telling them to adults. So how do you do a nativity for children who will just sit there and want to run away with the straw from the manger? Well, you get the adults to sit there with tea towels on their heads and uh, be angels and all that and get them to join in. Things of wonder. Now, I grew up in a Baptist church and we um, filled December with preparations for what would be our big festival service. And that was the massive thing that we did. Our festival day was a uh, big family festival service in the morning, sometimes doing it twice. And then in the evening, carol it service, because we held the civic service. But the kids I used to grow up with, some of them went to the local parish church. And for them, they had a different service, which we never really got involved with. And I never really understood it. Because they made these things. If it's going to work. They made these things. An orange with some sweets stuck in it and a candle. Now some people would think that's a waste of a perfectly good orange. I would think that it could be a waste of perfectly good sweets. Because I used to go to their houses and it used to be just sat there with the Christmas decorations going slightly mouldy. And I never really understood it. Until one year, um, a few moons ago, when we were doing youth work somewhere else, we were inv invited to actually go to what is called a Christingle service. So this morning for family time, we're going to talk about this. You know, it's not something that in the time that I've been here, we've had a Christingle service. It may be something that some of you have grown up with, because we all have come from different traditions. So here we go. So this is a Chris Dingle. Say hello to Chris Dingle. Oh, you can do better than that. We at least to make it sound like on the recording there's, you know, a, a room full of people. Say hello to Chris Dingle. Okay, there we go. You can tell I'm getting in preparation for next week, can't you? Right. So a man called Johannes, who was a church minister in Germany, invented this thing 250 years ago. Now, since he was a church minister, I wonder whether he was a forerunner to some of our youth workers today, continuously trying to work out how do we repackage the things of the Bible, the mysteries of the Bible, so that the people he's talking to can understand them in a way that would make sense. And this is what the Christingle is all about. He wanted to find the simplest way to explain the meaning of Christmas and everything to do with it in the story of God, rather than just on its own. And this is what he came up with. So there are five parts to a Christingle. There's the central part. There's the orange. Now, when I was looking for images yesterday, uh, I went through a lot of my resources, and I found a really interesting um, cartoon done one. There's a guy who um, draws a lot of Christian cartoons, and he had the various stages of Christingle for modern church. And he had the rich church, whereas the middle of this was the Terry's chocolate orange. So, you know, all this different stuff. But there's an orange in the centre. 
and that is the world. That's our recognition that God created this amazing planet that we live in. But he is the king over it. He rules over everything, and it belongs to him. Then here's the bit the kids always like. Um, I used to, you know, one of the youth work forums talking to a youth worker a few years ago, said, you know, for about 100 kids, they used to have 25 kids. Sweets, is this gone? Okay. 25 kilograms worth of sweets, but it's eight more than they put on their sticks. Sweets are good. No matter what you think, a little bit of sweet stuff is good. And God made his creation and the world good. Crammed full of good things. So when the kids do this, every sweet represents something good that God has given us. I'm just going to leave that hang there for, for a moment. For you to have a little think. A sweet on a stick represents everything good that God has given you. So, in your internal monologue, I'll just like you now to thank God for something good that he has given you at this time. Now, these sweets are stuck to sticks. You could just sit there and think, well, of course they're stuck to sticks. How else are they going to stick to an orange if they're stuck, stuck to something stuck into the orange? Well, there's four sticks, four reasons, four seasons. There is nothing that is in God's creation that doesn't happen by design. We've made it out this morning. Some of us slipped and slid. Some of us were adventurous and possibly, you know, did our Scott of the Antarctic impression and made it here by foot. Some of us might have just sat there in the last couple of mornings, opened the curtains and gone, oh, I've got to scrape the car. Well, I'm not going out there. These seasons are created for purpose. Autumn, winter, spring, summer. Four sticks, four seasons, four more reasons to be thankful because this is a circle of life, how God created it. Thirdly, in the middle, there's a candle. There's another fire risk. Just checking we've not set fire to the curtains. So when they, you make these things, you stick a candle in the middle, but the candle's not lit. It's not shining as a light into the world. Now, the world is full of good things, because that's how God created it. But there is a problem, and that problem, unfortunately, is us. Because we know that deep down, we're not as good as we perhaps like to think we are. And we have spoiled God's perfect creation. Now, the candle is there. And this is the thing when you do this as an outreach service, as the representation of what we know has brought us into this relationship with God, that we celebrate every Sunday we come here. But when the candle isn't lit, it's dark. And that's the representation of our lives without God being our king. We live in the darkness. But that candle does not stay dark. Because it is lit. John 1.4 says, this was Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and it shines in the darkness. These candles do not stay unlit on Chris Ingalls. Because with God and with Jesus in our lives, we are his light in the darkness. This is our reminder. And fifthly, the red ribbon. A good life, so that we could learn how to do it. He is the only one who could live the perfect life. And he died for us. And this is a representation of his blood that saves us. Without Christmas, there can't be Easter. 
without Easter, there can't be Christmas. I used this line on Friday night with the live wires. It's a chicken and an egg. Without an egg, you don't get a chicken. Without a chicken, you don't get an egg. Without this baby coming at Christmas, we don't get the saviour at Easter. And those who like their chocolate to celebrate Easter, they don't get that. And without Easter, we can't have the baby at Christmas. So Chris Dingle, an orange with some sweets and some sticks and a candle. A nice way of actually refocusing our thoughts about what Christmas really does mean. I'll hand back to Kaz. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Justin. I didn't know that about any of that. <laughs> um, just before the children leave, they're going to take communion. Is that um, with their parents? So just before you head off to the Dangerous Club with Justin, it's time for you to take communion with uh, your mum or dad. I'm confident that... Uh, so techy. I'm confident that the parents have explained to their children... Um, what this act of remembrance is all about. And we believe that as they grow in their relationship with Jesus and understand the importance of communion, that they're welcome to take it. But I have one question for you, children, before you leave. What did you have for breakfast today? Thomas. Shreddies. Shreddies. Nice. Oh, Jess, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> There's an argument about how much cereal has been consumed in our house. I don't know about you, but we go to a lot of cereal. Liz, what did you have for breakfast today? Weetabix. She's had her Weetabix. Watch out. Um, did, did that fill you up? Are you full? Are you completely full now? You're a little bit on the edge, aren't you? You could probably do the snack. Yeah, <laughs> I'm setting Justin up there for, for snack time. Um, do you think this little bit of bread that we're going to peel off here and this little thimble full of juice is going to fill you up? No, I don't think so too. So why do we have it? Because Jesus said it wasn't really the meal itself that was the key important thing, although it was important to eat together and drink together. It wasn't, but it's more than just filling our tummies up, isn't it? It's something we do to remember him, his death and what that meant. And what does it mean? What does communion mean? Amelia, what do you think communion means? Yeah, exactly that. It means that Jesus died for us. It's a memorial to Jesus' death and his resurrection. And it means that because he died for us, we can have a friendship with Jesus that lasts forever. Now, if you'd like to come up with your grown-ups and take communion, and I will read this passage from Luke. After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Father God, I pray for our children, Lord. I thank you for them. I thank you that whether there's four of them today, or six or ten, however many there are, Lord, we, they are your children. They're so special and important to you and to us as a church. We pray that as they talk with Justin and learn more about you, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and draw them closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let me just bring some notices uh, before we start the rest of our service. There are two carol services, uh, well, there's loads of carol services, but the one that we will be uh, participating in takes place on Tuesday. If we meet here at 5.30, we will then walk to um, Lower Road, have a little sing, and then walk up to Lower, uh, St Mary's Road. Um, carol hymn sheets will be provided by Ellie, and... You have those, yeah, good. <laughs> sure, I remember. Um, and it will only be around about half an hour, 45 minutes probably, something like that. But it's a great way to meet the neighbours. We'll hand out um, some of our, ca our, our service 
information and invite people down to CommunityWise. Next Sunday is the Nativity, which is another brilliant opportunity to invite people uh, to come along. If you know people with young children who might want to take part, they can just turn up in, in angel or sheep outfits or donkeys and, and be part of it. And if you're a grown-up who wants to be a donkey or a sheep, you're welcome to do that too. I think, Shannon, you could be a donkey. What do you think? No? Okay. All right. No, thank you. Um, any other notices that I missed? It's all in the, in the email anyway. <laughs> Take a look. Right. Before Mandy comes and talks to us from Hebrews, we're going to take communion together. And I wanted just to bring a short reflection about joy, the fourth candle in our Advent series. Um, to be honest, I probably relegate joy somewhere behind peace and love, um, possibly hope as well. It, um, it's just such a, it seems like quite a sort of wishy-washy word, joy, you know, joy. But um, it gets well over 400 mentions in the Bible, which is way, way more than happy or happiness, which gets a mere 10. And what happens, of course, is we sort of tack our human understanding of joy and filter it through perhaps a, a cultural lens, weakening it or wrongly defining it and perhaps playing it down. But joy, like peace, love and hope, is a unique part of our story and even better, it's given to us. I think the best way to define joy is take a biblical view of it. And this passage in 1 Peter 1, verses 8 to 9, does a great job of setting where joy, where it belongs. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our joy is inexplicably linked to knowing Jesus and more than that, loving him. This is a joy that's inexpressible. I find that extraordinary because I think that I can define joy, but I can't actually in the biblical sense. It's filled with glory. It's not weak or shallow or something that it's something that's very deep and profound and satisfying. It starts by loving Jesus and it ends in the salvation of our souls. It's powerful. And how do we obtain it? Through faith. It simply says believing in him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. That's incredible. This morning, let me take a few moments to pause, reflect, just slow down and come to the communion table. Let's consider joy as part of the bigger picture of our lives. A joy that comes through faith. Let's bring our confession before the Lord and ask him to fill all the gaps, all the missing bits that we need to be filled with, that we hunger and we thirst for him for more, including joy. There's no rush. There's no rush. I'm going to pray and then please come to the table when you're ready and Rob and I will serve you. Father, you give us what we need. We don't know we need it half the time, Lord. You give us what we need. You give us pause to think for joy, for hope, for love, for peace. All these amazing gifts, Lord, they're a gift and they all start with believing in you and they end in our salvation. Father, it's beyond understanding and yet we ask for it. As we take communion now and think about the huge sacrifice you made, the ultimate sacrifice, give us what we need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the promises we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, thank you for Mandy. Thank you for her willingness to share your words with us this morning. Lord, we just simply pray your Holy Spirit uh, would work through her, that she would be a messenger for you. Father God, bless her as she speaks. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. Thank you for that. I'll just let you know when I need them. Well, I'm AKA Jeanette today because Jeanette was going to speak. So if you were looking forward to Jeanette speaking, you'll have to hold that joy for another day. But I'm very pleased to be asked and I just said yes. You know, sometimes you just say yes, even though you think you can't really do it. You just say yes, don't you? So I'm going to speak on Hebrews 2. 
and it's going to be verses um, 10 to 18, if you want to follow it. But thinking just before we, we read, why was Jesus born? I think when I was thinking about this, simple answer would be to read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he sent his son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's right from beginning to end. God sent him. He was born. It was his only son. We believe in him. It means we won't perish, but we will have eternal life. That, that is the big reason for why Jesus was born in one verse. Hebrews, the passage that we're going to look at today, it gives us more details about the son. More details about certain aspects of him. I mean, if you actually listed every reason why he was born, there would be loads. You know, there would be loads. But Hebrews, in that little passage, I've picked out four that we're going to look at today. I love Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books. So I was not brought up in a, a home that read the Bible or, or was Christian. And I didn't understand the Bible. We had one on the shelf with the Apocrypha and everything else, but I didn't read it. Nobody read it, actually. And it wasn't until Sunday school, in, when I was happened to be teaching Sunday school in a Quaker meeting house, because I was the only person under 70 that was there, and there were a few children. I, really, it was the wrong thing. that They shouldn't have asked me, because I didn't know the Lord. So, it's, But anyway, God was in it. There was a little boy called Michael who brought a Good News Bible with the pictures in, you know, those lovely ones. And uh, he made me enthusiastic for it the Bible, because I saw this is a, a book I can find something in that at last I need to know. You know, I was in a fog at that time, not realizing even that Jesus was still alive, honestly. And I didn't realize that Africa had lots of nations in it. It wasn't just one country. I don't know. I was brought up okay, but <laughs> I didn't apply myself. I think that's what it was. I was busier with other things, which weren't always good things. So I do love Hebrews. It particularly is a key to understanding the Old Testament and understanding why all those things happened. It says in Hebrews, they were shadows of the things to come. And, and this book, it, it puts them together so that you can understand the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, how the New Covenant is better than the Old Covenant, how Jesus is higher than angels and how he became lower than angels for a short while. And uh, the Jewish religion was very interested and fixed on angels. It was a lot of angels that had helped them through life, through the desert. Um, the angel of the Lord came and spoke to them. And, you know, people expected to see God via angels. And the Hebrew congregation that this was written to, Jewish people, who, had, who we'd now call Messianic Jews, had been brought up, as Jeanette said weeks ago, for uh, centuries and centuries with knowing only the law so this was a whole new thing they had to stretch their mind as much as I had to stretch my mind to think that Africa was more than just one big country called Africa it was mind-blowing to them really and the teaching in this I find it very helpful very well put with not too many long complicated sentences so just before we dive in I'm going to read a job description Wanted. Making yourself vulnerable in weakness, you will be required to shiver in a stable and sleep on a bed of straw. You will be part of a family whose lives you will change forever, causing them at times to be on the outside of their community. To that community, you will be a source of shame, fear and jealousy. There will be conflict with the leaders, especially regarding their religious laws. You will be without a home later in life. Be misunderstood and misrepresented. Betrayed by friends, spat upon, humiliated, scourged, taunted, tortured and eventually executed as a criminal. not the sort of job you would probably advise your son to go for. In God's goodness, 
how difficult to go through suffering ourselves, but how much more difficult to watch a son or daughter go through suffering. I mean, I've only watched a small amount of suffering in our family compared to what people have, but you wish as a parent you could take it on for them. How difficult for God to allow his son to go through that. So we're going to start with just verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Could we have the first picture up, please? I've got four pictures to help us remember these four things that I'm going to bring out. The first one is an empty cross, which we often see worn as jewellery, an empty cross. Sometimes a cross has Jesus on it. I asked particularly for the empty cross because that shows he's not on it now. Um, We are completing his suffering here on earth, it says in the Bible. So when we suffer, it's a little bit of what Christ is suffering, especially when we suffer for him. So why did God choose to send his son into the world as a human being? Why did he require that Jesus suffer like he did? Why did he have to endure the shame, pain, and horror of the cross? That's what my questions were, really. I was thinking about, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that, that means it was a good idea, it was um, the right thing. This is what God had decided, that even though he, he made everything and everything exists through him, he would make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. The other words for author are captain, founder, pioneer, trailblazer. So those are the words that uh, we can see in Jesus, all of those things, which is a clue to why God allowed Jesus to be perfected by suffering. You know, in a war, I don't know about you, but I would prefer a leader who had already had the experience of what we were going to go through. Obviously, in a war, if you're a soldier on active duty, you go through suffering. I would much prefer to to be behind a captain who had kind of been authenticated, if you like, um, had walked the walk, And Jesus really came to walk our walk. um, And it made him perfect. And when I looked up that word, it's a a strange word. Let me see if I can find it on my poster. Now, this might not be good um, Hebrew. Tel-i-u-o. Tel-i-u-o. The made perfect means to complete, to carry through, to accomplish, to bring a goal to an end. Um, that's what the perfect means. It's, it's got that sense of a whole thing happening, an event happening and being accomplished. It's not the perfect we think of, that, like my makeup is perfect, is my hair perfect? I guess in a way, it's, is, it, is it accomplished? Is it as good as it's going to be? But that sense, uh, there's a sense of a journey in that perfect word, not just the make word, but the perfect word. So Jesus was to be perfected by suffering. I see a few things in this. His obedience. Um, In John 10, it says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Um, So he had to be obedient in the suffering. He knew what was ahead. And it's a part of suffering that we don't don't embrace. I mean, I don't embrace suffering that much. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I know that if you have suffering, you need to have, have obedience as well, especially if you were Jesus, because he had a great deal of suffering ahead, yet he was obedient. And I think, for me, the, the battle was won in the Garden of Gethsemane because the, the cross was the, the after thing after that, but that battle was such a battle for him, you know, knowing what was ahead, thinking in his mind what he'd got to go through, in his human mind what he'd got to go through. Because although he was fully God, he was also fully human. So the whole experience of suffering wasn't mitigated by anything. In fact, it was probably worse. One, because it was undeserved. So it wasn't his own... He hadn't smoked 40 a day for 100 years and then got lung cancer. Or, you know, he hadn't gone out in a fast race car and smashed into a wall because he was drunk. 
that that is suffering but in there's something behind that you know we can we can decide how we're going to live life without that type of suffering to bring it on us and we can come out of those behaviors especially when we know god but he had to go through undeserved suffering and in his suffering he identified with humanity so he had to be fully human, which is one of the reasons why he was born. He had to be fully human to identify with us. He faced death like all of us. We all face death. And it was to bring us through to glory, which is an amazing thing. Now, when one of our children was nine, she had to go in for a serious operation. And then she had to have another one at 11 because she was born with scoliosis, but it was a, a bad sort. And I can remember walking down an alley feeling quite upset about all this. She was diagnosed at two, but she had the operation at nine, knowing that she was going to go through a lot of suffering. And I almost had said this to God, but he stopped me, actually. I, my prayer was going to be, don't let her go through any suffering. I don't want to go through any more. <laughs> but then I remembered, he reminded me that actually... She was being made whole through suffering that time. I would never, ever ask her to do it or make it happen, but she had come so close to God in that time. She was a Christian, and the amazing thing was, just at that very time, there was a lady doing a survey in the hospital, um, and she was doing a survey on how people get through operations, how resilient are they, and Alison, at nine, gave her all the answers. They were all about faith. She had no fear going in. Now, when she was 11, she had a bit more fear because she knew that she was going through something a bit, you know, it was going to be painful. But at nine, she had absolute faith. And she was the one that actually said to us, I'm going to be fine. You know, God's in it. We ha she knew we had the church praying. But my prayer was like, I don't want her to have any. And then it, God just stopped me short because I, even in my life, I know, and probably in your lives, is when you've had suffering, it is never pleasant and it's it's a little leap to what we found last week when we were chatting in here when Paul said it's a little big leap really to having it count as pure pure joy there's a l big leap in a human to count suffering as pure joy but we do recognize and know that it can bring us closer to God we we know that it can make us stronger in him and in Jesus' case, he was already perfect, but he had to perfect the complete end of, of him being a human being. And he had to be made perfect through suffering because it's something that all human beings go through. You can suffer even before you're born. You know, we all have joys and sorrows, don't we? He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering. And that makes it, so amazing when we go through suffering we know that he's been through suffering and he is still interceding for us before the throne he still stands for us and it's a complete work he doesn't back off or run away he didn't run away from it he just stands firm in it so that's why we've got an empty cross to remember the suffering so can I have the next picture, please? See, I've got thoughts on post-its and writing down on bits, and then I'm just talking in between. So for people who, who are going to be listening online, the next picture is... That's not the next picture. Can I have a um, picture of a Russian doll this time, please? Yeah, that's it. Okay, for the, pi the picture is of a family. So on the, on the um, overhead... There's a, a large family of Russian-type looking people, and it's one of those nesting dolls. So they're all different, which I really liked, and there's a very tiny one as well, which I liked. So these, this is going to be 11 to 13. I'm reading from the version you've got, hopefully. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says... I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. 
I love this bit. So we've got three sentences that Jesus said, but they're all from the Old Testament, and they're not even in red in the New Testament that I had. Which, you know, and sometimes you wonder, well, can we attribute some of these things in the Old Testament and Psalms to, you know, can we bring them up to contemporary age? And this is proof to me that you can. Definitely, because the, the first one was in Psalm 22, which we all know is about the crucifixion. And uh, the, the cheerful bits at the end, when, when it it's kind of declares that God is going to rescue Jesus, says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. It's the future. And, you know, he's talking about death on a cross in the rest of it. This is future. There's going to be a future. And we are actually... His joy. When you were talking about joy earlier, Kaz, you know, we are the joy of his reward. We are the reward of his suffering. We are. And uh, the other one is from Isaiah, and I looked this up and I'm going to read it. I just had to put my glasses there. So <laughs> this is Isaiah. You know, he had to have sons and they had to be called different names which is a bit what's behind this, but it was the, the first bit of the chapter 8 talks about Assyria invading, and the second bit is headed, Fear God and heed his word. So if you listen up, you'll hear some of the sentences that are in Hebrews in this. For the Lord spoke thi thus to me, that's with to Isaiah, with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying... Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall follow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among thy disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts. So there you've got the two phrases. I'm not sure if it actually said 16 in that version, 17 and 18. Yeah, and I will wait on the Lord. There it is. I will wait on the Lord. Here I am and the children whom the Lord has given me. So it, this was a positive affirmation of who Isaiah was going to follow. And this is, these are the two bits of words that are taken into this Hebrews part here. So I love it that we are family. I felt the power of family, especially this last couple of weeks. Everyone's been so supportive in coming to talk. It's not my natural... I can talk, but <laughs> to talk in front of everybody is not my natural desire, probably. Um, and I love it that there's a little baby there, because actually, you know, when you open those dolls, everyone likes to get to the tiny one, and I, it just reminded me of the Advent, really, and, you know, and the Emmanuel type of, I am with you, and here he is as a small baby, and... We are one in one in one, and that's what God says. You know, I am one in you; you are one in me. We are, you are in me. So I quite like that aspect of the the Russian doll for it. He identifies with us as a family. We share his holiness. He is making us holy. So there's the little one, who is a king of the world, coming like that, and making us holy, because he has holiness. We cannot be holy on our own, at all. Families. So he has set the lonely in families. He has set lots of us in this family. I work in linking lives sometimes with people who are on their own and lonely. And to be honest, there's a stark difference between the bitterness of facing death in some of those people who do not know the Lord and the people I meet at Victoria Baptist Church on a Thursday afternoon who are all over 80 and who are facing death and suffering, but they have very little bitterness of it. And I just really think, you know, God has done something amazing. He's set them in his family. They're, they're going to die 
physically just the same as the people outside his family, but there's a huge difference. And I can see them being made holy because holy, being sanctified, doesn't just mean that you're going to be made, you're going to have some sort of thing come on you that's going to make you perfect. It means you're devoted to God, you're separated from sin. You know, and it is sin in us that starts us to fear and worry about things that are inevitably going to happen. And and then the enemy takes that, Satan takes that and causes a huge anxiety in us and bitterness about dying. Um, you know, we are, we are separated from sin and we need to be glad about that. We need to be glad that we are separated. You know, I think the piece in Isaiah that I read is a little bit like what Joshua said, as for me, me and my household are going to serve the Lord. So I want to encourage us all really to carry on serving him. You know, when the, when it, the going gets tough, to carry on serving him because there's a huge reward and we are being made holy even now. So God, when I woke up this morning, I didn't know quite when I was going to use this, but it's now. He gave me three short sentences. I had to run into the kitchen and write them down. I've got to that age when I think of something and I have to write it down quick. He said, this is how to live like I did, like Jesus did. He said, live with the truth of scripture. Live with complete dependence on God and live to make the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us. So live with all those powerful things that the Holy Spirit does in us, the goodness, the kindness, the patience, the joy, all those things, the self-discipline, live with them, those three things, the truth of scripture, be completely dependent on God and live with those things. And I, I know in his suffering and part of the human family, Jesus often got fed up with us at times. He said, why am I with these people? Which we would be just the same, wouldn't we? And uh, also he was very joyful about us. He was joyful, so joyful to the point that you know, he, he went to weddings and enjoyed life. He enjoyed life here on earth. And John the Baptist had to send someone to him to say, are you actually him? Because you're enjoying life too much. Why are you not fasting? <laughs> but there you go. So that's family. Can we now have deadly scorpion, please? Apparently the most deadly scorpion is the Brazilian yellow scorpion. But I just got this one, really, to remember. So we've got the cross for suffering. We have the um, nesting dolls for family. We have the scorpion to think about the sting of death. So we're now on verse 14. Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might be destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And I'm so glad it was communion today because every time we take this, we remember Jesus broke flesh and shed blood for us. And uh, it's a little picture of him sharing in our humanity as much as anything else. It says here that he shared, he shared in our humanity because we have flesh and blood. He had to be born. Christ had to be born and have flesh and blood. Death has lost its sting, it says in the Bible. The wages of sin is death. So basically, the analogy is, if the scorpion stings you, actually I, I read that they're not all deadly poisonous, but they're all very unpleasant. And once we were in Africa on, on an outreach in a field, there was a big stage, and I don't know if people have been to Africa here, they've seen this. There were loads and loads of people outside, and lights, and... Uh, very loud music, dancing, and it was in a field, and there was nothing really f else for them to do, so they all come, and there were like witch doctors going round and round on mopeds around the field to put curses on us, and we were there, and there was a strong, powerful preacher, um, probably just warming up the congregation, I think <laughs> he was, and he had all kinds of lovely robes on, and my friend and I were at the back, and we were kind of the prayer wall, a little bit of the prayer wall, praying for him, praying for the event, praying ag against, you know, anything the enemy would want to do. And then, so he's standing at the front of the stage, looking out on the field with these arc lights. And then my friend noticed, just coming towards him quite fast, 
was a scorpion. <laughs> so we had to we had to like say to someone, look, and they, they had to go on stage. You know how you go on stage like this? For, so for people that can't see, you know, when you're trying to do something unobtrusively, you look really obtrusive so everybody can see you. You bow down and you scuttle. Well, that's what they did <laughs> and went to get the scorpion because they didn't want to, obviously, to pay, to pay a lot of attention. But he was literally about to stand on it and he could have been taken out by it because the Brazilian one has very bad venom. I just think it's a little bit... I'm glad it's a little thing. I could have chosen a snake. Probably would have been a better analogy in some ways because Satan is portrayed as a snake, a serpent. But the thing I like about choosing the scorpion is that it can bite you and you don't die of it immediately. You, it's poison goes in. And I think with sin, you know, it doesn't always have to be a big thing, does it? it we are born with a nature that's that's going to go to sin and uh, it runs to sin. We have a sinful nature. You can tell in little children. They're so delightful to hold a new baby. You know, they feel so sinless, don't they? They they look so perfect. It's a bit of therapy. Not at the middle of night when you really want to get to sleep after a lot of vomiting and everything else. But there you are, a, a newborn baby. It, it soon becomes apparent when that child is a little older that they have a will a very strong will, and we do as well. We we have a will, you know, that will take us to places we shouldn't be. My will took me to places as a teenager where I shouldn't have been. Um, and actually, what happened to me as a teenager is quite common, I think, because, again, when I was on mission in Moldova, we had um, an evening when we weren't out preaching, and there was a group of young people, they were all in their 20s, apart from me and my friend, and we began to give testimonies. And I was shocked by the commonality. The commonality was that as teenagers, all of us, all of us had deeply gone off the rails, even if we had been in a Christian family. But worse than that, the fear of death, I don't know, but we were doing things that would make us die easier. So there was anorexia, bulimia, suicide, um, thoughts of suicide, addictions, all those, they come in like a flood at teenage. And I just wanted to say this because I felt we need to be really on it with our, with our children, our grandchildren and the children in this church to pray for them because it's a, I think it's a vulnerable point. It's also the point where most people give their lives to Jesus, which is wonderful. So I was searching, but the enemy was trying to take me off track, just like a scorpion would bite you, you know, and stop you preaching at that event to bring many to the Lord. It's, he, he constantly tried, and I didn't know it was him at the time, to take me off track. And, and I, f I feel it really has, he has a go at your self-esteem mostly. So you start to feel really rough. And I, I know it's a bit of um, an oxymoron to say you have a fear of death and then you sort of indulge in behaviors that will take you to death. But I think for me, it was because death made you feel angry and helpless. And what's the point anyway, you know, if we're all going to die? And when, when I was a teenager, there was all the, the thought about nuclear war. We had a um, pamphlet delivered to the house telling us where to, where to go in the house and what to do with the windows. And so already my thoughts were already about dying. As a small child, you suddenly discover when you ask adults that, yes, they will tell you truthfully, one day we will die and you can't bear it. I can remember think, you know, thinking, my own children, like, you're not ever going to die, Mum, are you? Well, yes, I am. Yes, I am. You know, children, they have a fear of death. We, we all have a fear at that time. And uh, it just says in the word, you know, that Jesus came that he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery. Um, somebody in Northampton had written up on an overpass and on a bus stop the word cravings in red spray paint, which we noticed as we were prayer walking, and we thought, this is like they're speaking cravings over the community in a, in a bad way. You know, we would, we would, if we had to write anything, we'd probably write blessings or love or joy, but these people, I don't know who they were, had written up cravings, and I, I think... That is one of the things, you know, you, you get this, the power of death, the slavery 
a, a craving and leads you to an addiction, and it's it's slavery. I I my own personal addiction, if you like, was anorexia and bulimia. So it started with a low self-esteem. The enemy gets in, doesn't he? I thought it was quite all right. I thought I was in charge of it. Then you realise it's in charge of you, don't you? And uh, I, th Jesus is so, so taken away that he took that away instantly for me. Not instantly I was saved, but there was one morning I just couldn't do those behaviours anymore. Just stopped. Um, and I've heard other testimonies. You know, he he does sometimes just stop stuff. And other times he leads you into better pastures, doesn't he? So you don't have to do them anymore and you lose that feeling of um, a low self-esteem. And So don't think, expect it to be for in you every day that you have a high self-esteem. That doesn't happen, especially when the accuser's about. He often uses other people to accuse us. And especially in marriage, that is something Tony and I have to work on. You know, it's so easy to blame each other. And to use words, I'm, I'm really grateful that he's a bit deaf at the minute because um, he can't hear what comes out of my mouth first. <laughs> and then he says, what did you say? And I'm like, I don't want to say it again. So uh, when I was younger, I thought I need to tie a tea towel around it because God was changing me bit by bit, making me holy, taking away that fear of death. And it's not going to be perfected in me until beyond death i can i can pretty be sure of that so the absolute joy for me has been that jesus's death resulted in the death of death it can't hold us any longer it couldn't hold him he died a physical death but because he was perfectly sinless the resurrection and life that he had earned he gave to us his brothers one holy family and i would say blessed are those who know god and are baptized into his pesach protection which ellie taught us about about death has lost its sting you know we are really blessed if our teenagers can get by and and find the lord in their teenage time because they will then leave that life with protection on them protection from scorpion of the enemy so could we have the last picture up please am i doing all right for time that's good <laughs> okay the last picture is of a lovely high priest so for those who haven't got the um the video, obviously. He's wearing all sorts of lovely, pretty robes. He's got incense in his hand. He's got a turban on his head, and he's got the ephod on his chest with the 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes. And uh, this is verse 17 now. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So a high priest, it says a little bit later in Hebrews 5, and I, I didn't know this, has to be chosen, I knew that, but appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, but this bit I didn't know. He needs to be able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Now, I have only ever thought of the high priest as being a bit like, very pharisaical, that like, you've sinned, that's it, we've got to kill the calf, you know, that's it, you come and you bring your lamb or whatever, eight o'clock in the morning, we'll sort it out with that. But they, by New Testament times, this was the, the description of a high priest, able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray. I love that. You know, I, I, you know, that is in Hebrews a bit later. And since he himself is subject to weakness, so Jesus suffered when he was being tempted. He, although he was 100% human and 100% God, he suffered when he was being tempted. And when we're tempted, it's suffering to get over it sometimes, isn't it? it we have to be try and be obedient to God in it because temptation doesn't come from something that we're not bothered about. It's usually something we're highly bothered about. You know, he had to identify with us completely. I just looked up the word atonement. 
which most of you know, but I'm just going to go through it a little bit. So one day a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, people of Jewish faith repent for their sins. One day a year. They still do this now. The Hebrew word is kafar. Is that right, Paul and Martin? You are excellent Hebrew scholars. In OT, and it means to cover. Okay, to cover. I'm going to cover up the giraffe on the lectern, just to remind you. It means to cover. Atonement involved the sacrifice of an unblemished and innocent animal. By the shedding of blood, God would see the sins of the people covered. And I've heard so many times people say to me, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. There's no, you know, no sin there, but you, you keep a short account with God. That's what he sees. He doesn't see your sin. It's as far as east from the west. It's gone. He's forgotten it. Don't remember it yourself because it will mess you up. You know, If he's forgotten it, you can. The high priest entered the Holy of Holies to burn incense and sprinkle the sacrificed animal's blood seven times on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement. He did it in fear and trepidation, a matter of life or death for him, because he could be killed at any moment were he to be found in any way to be unclean. And I, I do know this, he had to have a little bell attached to his ankle, and if they heard it stop ringing, it meant they got to pull him out by a rope, because there was a rope attached to his ankle, rather. The rope was attached to his ankle, the bell was attached to his tunic, I think. And, um, yeah, they had to pull him out. So he had to be... 100% sure that he'd already made his own sacrifice. Our high priest in Jesus is perfect. It was a once-for-all sacrifice. It does not have to keep happening. Every year, we don't have to go with our lambs. A very strong description of Jesus for these Jewish believers who'd come out of the synagogue and they're suddenly without the high priest. It's a bit like, I suppose, a Catholic coming out of the Catholic religion and not having a confessor. You know, he was their high priest that dealt with their sins. And I love it that um, the person writing this had given them this really good assurance that they still have a high priest. You know, they had relied on the high priest over centuries. And to suddenly be without him must have been quite, quite a mindset to get into. And, uh, you know, they had had to come out of the synagogues. What a temptation they had to try and go back in because... They'd lost their whole Jewish family. It would be like me being put out of here today. You can't come anymore. You know, that's it. You can't come anymore. You believe in Jesus. And actually to come in again, you have to renounce him. That's, that's where they were. So I, it's wonderful that, that the writer of Hebrews told them about suffering. He told them about being a family. There is a family. You've lost a family, but you've got a bigger one. It's all better things, you know. Jesus is better than angels. The things he brings are better than angels. You've lost the power of death over you, the power of the sting of sin, gone, destroyed. It's, that's a strong word, isn't it? Destroyed. It's not just lifted or put aside. It's destroyed. And lastly, the high priest is still there, and he's in heaven. Doesn't have to do it every year. And doesn't have to be afraid that he's got to have a rope on his ankle to be pulled out because he made it. He made the journey. That's, that's what the author tells us here. So I just want to finish with this. Let's pray. Lord, we started... This with a um, job vacancy that none of us would have been able or had any desire to fulfill. The job's been filled. We see you, Lord, before the throne of God interceding for us. We thank you for the gifts you give us, but even more for your birth, life and death which bring us forgiveness and raise us up to serve you in love. So we ask you this Christmas to give us clarity in what we say and do to share your wonderful message, a message full of wonder, a message this broken, aching world is longing to hear. Father, we thank you for these scripture passages in the Bible, Father, that bring Jesus alive to us, that bring aspects of him that we 
don't always think about. We thank you that you comforted those Jewish believers through this writing, probably over centuries. We thank you that we can read it now and we can rejoice in its wonderful message as well. We thank you, Jesus, that you were born, that you chose to stick with it and to see the journey through. Perilous, dangerous as it was, painful as it was, Lord, beyond what we can imagine, ask or, or, or think about, Lord. We thank you that you won the victory, that when you come again, it will be as our victorious Messiah, the one who saved us. We thank you that you came in humility, Lord, that we might not be proud, that we understand that you plummeted the depths of humanity in many other times that you had to come across us as people. We thank you that you are still for us and not against us. And we thank you, Lord, that when we give our lives to you, you pick them up and give us a new life. We, we swap our sinful nature for your new nature, Lord. We're born again into a new kingdom. So, Father, be with us as we go out from here today. Fill us with that joy that Kaz was talking about and help us to remember, Father, how amazing what you did was. How amazing it is to hold a newborn. And, Father, let us hold that newborn Christ in our hearts today and always. Amen. That's a lot. That's more than enough. That is incredible. The power of scripture, um, I just have that image now of, of the Jesus in Gethsemane is, is what I really take away, that sort of mental and spiritual battle. It's very powerful. Um, that's the end of our formal service. Please stay for lunch if you can. Please um, stay for prayer if you need it. Don't rush away. Um, but thank you all and enjoy the rest of your day. And I shall just ask God to bless this, sh this family of believers, Lord. Bless us as we go about our day. Bless us as we consider in our hearts what Mandy shared with us this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. <laughs>